if you're a sci-fi fan, this summer you're going to be treated to something absolutely spectacular because Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton is reprising his 1989 role as Batman. He's coming back as Batman in a movie called The Flash, okay? In, in a trailer released just three days ago, Batman says this, I lost my parents. That pain made me who I am. I spent a lifetime trying to right the wrongs of the past as if fighting crime would bring my parents back. Nearly 15 years ago, a pastor named Ephraim Smith categorized the differences between Batman and Superman. So I want to use that as a way to, of wading into Genesis and wading into talking about identity, and particularly talking about living a blessed life. Batman is, of course, Bruce Wayne, whose parents are killed in a random act of violence. And Bruce is a victim. He's powerless to save his parents. He's a victim of the sins of other people, and he's a victim of his own fears and regrets and anger. His anger carries him to a very dark place, <coughs> the Batcave. <laughs> and his costume is designed to instill fear. He conceals his true identity, and he controls his enemies with fear and technology. But underneath, Bruce Wayne is a helpless orphan dealing with the pain and loss and anger from his childhood. And who does he turn when things are desperate? Alfred. Alfred, right? It's the 70-some-year-old butler. Who's he going to call now, now that he's 71? On the other hand, on the other hand, you have Superman, or as he's known on his home planet, Kal-El. And he's born a super. He's a citizen of another realm. And when he arrives on earth, he's adopted by Jonathan and Martha Kent, poor older fa uh, farmers from Smallville, Kansas. And the Kents train Clark to hide his supernatural abilities, but value honor, value human dignity, value and embrace humility. His costume doesn't have a mask. It's just a giant S. <laughs> he displays, in a sense, his true self. As Ephraim Smith points out, Superman doesn't even need a cape to fly. He could fly, he could fly buck naked if he wanted to. Thank goodness he doesn't, okay? <laughs> You've known people like Bruce Wayne or Clark Kent. And for those of you who are younger, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to meet people in life who largely live out a life under a curse, and they're mad, and they're angry, and they've got all this stuff going on on the inside, and it's a hurricane. And you're going to meet other people in life who may or may not have had some knocks, but that's not how they're living life at all. It's as all, almost as though they're free. They're liberated. They're free from the opinions of others. And you're going to encounter both kinds of people in life. For a number of years, I went into our county jail, and our county jail is filled with men who are addicted to drugs, and they committed crimes related to their addiction. That's who's in our county jail, 95% of these guys. And story after story after story is just a story of childhood heartache, pain, abuse, and lack. This past February, Asbury had kind of a movement of God. 
And I heard story after story after story of people in spite of setbacks, instead of setbacks, expressing a life that's redeemed, forgiven, beloved, treasured, and a life that's set apart for God's work. So today, I want to say to you that a family blessing is supposed to echo this blessing that God gives to Abraham, okay? Tucked away in the early chapters of Genesis, God makes a promise to a man named Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Abraham's family has issues. Abraham's family has favoritism. Isaac favors Esau. Rebekah favors Jacob. Abraham's family has deception. Just like Abraham lied, Isaac lies. Isaac lies to the Philistines. Yeah, this woman, Rebecca, she's my uh, sister. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Right? And, and Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, lie to uh, Jacob's father and trick him into believing that Jacob is really his older brother, Esau. And that's what we saw last week in Genesis chapter 27. Jacob and his mother, Rebecca, trick Isaac into thinking that Jacob is really Esau. And so Isaac gives this special blessing to the younger son instead. Today, I want to focus on five key elements of a biblical blessing. Five key elements. You'll find these all over the place. You'll find them in such strange places as, guess what? Focus on the family. They even outline these five things that they've stolen from biblical scholars that are simply ways that parents can pass on faith to their kids. Because if you want to pass on faith to kids, if you want to pass on faith to the next generation, it's going to require and ask of you to bless them, just as Jesus blessed the children who came to him, okay? So I want to walk through these five things. First of all, a biblical blessing, a biblical blessing includes meaningful and appropriate touch. In Genesis chapter 27, Isaac tells his father, Come a little closer and kiss me, my son. Fellas, this guy is 40 years old. This, is, this father is asking his 40-year-old son to come a little closer so that I can kiss you, right? The word used for come a little closer is the same Hebrew word used when two armies come together in battle. It's the same Hebrew word used to describe the overlapping scales of a crocodile's skin. Close, close. Isaac is giving Jacob meaningful touch. And meaningful touch is anything that's appropriate and non-sexual that conveys value, okay? So when I come up to somebody and I put my hand on their shoulder, that's meaningful touch. That's what Frodo did to Samwise Ganchi in Lord of the Rings, right? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what that is. Meaningful touch matters, okay? On the, um, in Genesis chapter 48, you have now an old, old Jacob who's grown old, and he brings his sons in, uh, Joseph, uh, and he, uh, Joseph brings his sons to an old, old Jacob to be blessed, and the text tells us that uh, they were kissed and embraced, Genesis chapter 48, verses 10 and 11. On the day of atonement, the priest would take his hand and place it on the scapegoat before the scapegoat is let loose. 
When the sin offering is made, the priest will lay his hand on the bull as the bull is slain. Did you know that of the five million touch receptors that you have, a third of them are located in your hands? Did you know that? Okay. Biblical blessing includes meaningful touch and appropriate touch. A biblical blessing also includes a spoken message. Uh, we Jewish people to this day uh, live this out. So at the birth, at circumcision for young boys, at dedication, at bar and bar mitzvah, at weddings, Jewish parents will verbalize a spoken blessing for their children. Um, in Genesis chapter 27, this is what we see uh, Isaac saying to his son, from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvest of grain and bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants and may they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed and all who bless you will be blessed. There's a scene in the TV series Smallville where Clark Kent's parents are talking to him about his future. And Mr. Kent says this to his son. Son, I'm so very proud of you. You've got to keep the whole world safe. This is your destiny. You're going to touch the lives of so many people. You are a symbol of peace and justice. I'll always be with you, son. Right? Now, I got to admit, I have had struggle bus moments in my life over these first two aspects of a, of, a, of a biblical blessing. I've not been known as being the most huggy, touchy-feely person in the world. And then when it comes time to saying things like, I'm proud of you, I love you, I'm so glad I married you, like, it's like there's a catch in my throat, right? So these are things I've actually had to work at over the longer arc of my life that I'm trying to lean into. Um, it really was empowering for me and also convicting uh, for me, when our friends who live in Turkey were home visiting, and out of Elizabeth's mouth, she says to me, that's the first time I've ever seen you hug someone on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and I was like, I'm growing, <laughs> but also I could do better, right? So both of those things. So a biblical blessing has meaningful touch, and a biblical blessing has a spoken message. But a biblical blessing also attaches value to the one being blessed. Uh, this is what Isaac says when he says this. Um, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors. The Hebrew word phrase there is uh, the smell of the open field. And some of you are like, yeah, that's the truth. He's not talking about stinky smell. You got to understand the context of this. He's, he has in mind a cultivated field where there's life growth, and there's going to be an abundant harvest. That's what he thinks of when he thinks of his son, right? And so he's basically saying of his son, I value you. Like any man would value a field ready to be harvested, okay? The smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. A biblical blessing also includes picturing a special future for the one being blessed, okay? This is uh, verses 27 and 28 again of, ch of chapter 27. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain and bountiful new wine. Now, we're not in the same position as Isaac when it comes to our kids and 
uh, adopted nephews and sons and daughters in a church family, we can't see into the future with clarity always, okay? So we can't make uh, biblically accurate predictions about their future, but we can verbalize a future that has God active in their lives, God working in their lives, God providing for them, and them living out a life of faith where they're trusting God no matter what. And that's very empowering. Um, when I was in high school, I was on the struggle bus with all kinds of things. I don't know if, you know, I'm guessing high school students have it easy today. It's just so easy to you know, figure out who you are and get good grades and make everybody happy. And the young people are already laughing at me. Okay, so it's, it's teenage years are a struggle bus. And I would get in my car and I would, when I had finally got my license, and I would drive 20 minutes down the road to visit my aging arthritic grandmother, my, my dad's mom. And the, only re and the main reason I would go to do this, you would get asked and stuck to do all kinds of things because her arthritis was so bad. So you'd show up at the house and she'd be like, Mark, that's my real name. Mark, could you open this jar of peanut butter? I can't get the lid open. And Mark, I, I can't, you know, I'm out of, would you go, I'm out of bread. Would you go to the store and get me some bread? So you'd always be doing like five or six different things if you went to go see Grandma Vi. But the reward was sitting on the couch in the living room at the end and having her look at me and say, God's got something special for you, Mark. And you know what? I believed her. I believed her, right? I brought along this. I still have this. This is a Bible my dad gave to me late in life. And it simply says to my son who has been given a, and he's got this in quotes, so hopefully he doesn't mean this sarcastically. <laughs> I think he's old enough that he didn't understand what air quotes meant. <laughs> okay. To my son who has been given a special purpose from God. Your dad loves you, dad, okay? So a biblical blessing includes picturing a future where that person is walking with God and God is walking with them, okay? And then lastly, a biblical blessing includes an active commitment to fill that, fulfill that blessing, okay? Um, you're going to encounter things with kids and people. So my youngest uh, has got a set of pipes. She can sing. And Jenny and I, our parenting with our kids has been not so much to brag about their accomplishments, but to kind of dog them like, you know, about character things. We want you to be honest. We want you to like show up. We want you to work hard when you're going someplace. Um, and we had people tell us along the way, well, you know, your youngest has got a set of pipes, like she can really sing. And so a few years ago, we started paying for music lessons. That meant Jenny and I had to do, work some side hustles to get in some extra money. What those music lessons communicated to that person is, I'm committed to seeing you succeed. See how this works? This is what happens when you parents, when you're bringing your kids on a Sunday, when right, you're doing the kinds of active things in their lives. Every time you show up for a performance and you're hearing that fifth grade band go, like you're, you're saying, I'm committed, and I'm committed to seeing you fulfill this blessing. Here's where the rubber hits the road, though. You and I have this tendency to be looking at other people and looking to receive blessing from other people. And that's, there's a good aspect to that. But here's what I want to remind you of today. Somebody's looking at you. Somebody's looking at you. Somebody's watching you. Now, I got a front row seat to this because I'm a pastor. Everybody's always watching me all the time. Is Max the person he is on Sunday that he is at home? Is he real? Does he really have integrity? 
Is he really humble? Like, I want to know for sure. So like, everybody's always watching me all the time. I get that, like in a way that politicians do. But what you may not realize is that somebody's watching you, a kid or a grandkid, a coworker. For those of you that are the older brother or sister, I hate to tell you this, your younger siblings are watching you, watching how you are, watching how you treat them, right? <laughs> They're watching, okay? The earliest Christians got this. They lived out a blessed life because they knew they were adopted, redeemed, forgiven, treasured, right? Empowered by God's spirit. And there's a word that comes up over and over again in the New Testament to describe the earliest Christians. They were bold, bold. Where did they get this boldness? And this boldness and this manner of being astonished other people. It astonished the Jewish leaders. It astonished the Romans. Here's just one little verse from Acts 4. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. When you've spent time with Jesus, it grounds you in your identity. I believe Jesus was the freest man who ever lived. And those who walk in the Jesus way, they get freedom. Free from the opinions of other people, free to walk in obedience to God and what God is calling them to do. And those people avoid the two pitfalls of identity, okay? There's two big pitfalls of identity. One big pitfall that a lot of people fall into is this, I'm a worm and I'm nobody and I can't do anything and oh. And the other pitfall of identity is, man, y'all stink. Why can't you be like me? Because I'm awesome. Like, those are the two pitfalls right there. And a lot of people fall into one or the other. Most people fall into the self-loathing, I'm a worm. And then there's a few special people that <laughs> really do think they're better than everyone else, right? But the earliest Christians avoided both. They, they, weren't, they didn't look down and, and, you know, man, all these people are terrible. They didn't, they didn't do that. And they didn't walk around with, oh, I'm a worm. Like they, they were confident in who they were. They were confident in their identity that they had been given. See, Jesus changes people from the inside out. He gives them a new name, a new identity, a promise, and a future. This was true of a man named John Newton. If you don't know the story of John Newton, I love his story because he exemplifies what it means, in my opinion, to walk out Christian identity. John was not really wanted or cared for by his father, who was a bit of a drunk. And he was drafted, John was drafted into the British Navy in 1743. He actually tried to desert, but they caught him. They tied him to the mast of the ship, and he was given 96 lashes in front of all of his crewmates. And it was determined that he was not cut out for the Royal Navy. So they then sent him to serve on a British slave ship. And he was just a crewman on this British slave ship. But he would get so drunk and he was so cantankerous and so difficult that when that slave trading ship left the coast of, of Africa, they left John on the beach 
And he was then enslaved by an African princess named Pei, who kept him as a slave, personal slave, for the next three years. Three years later, the British Royal Navy rescues him. And on his way back to England, on that ship, there is a storm that goes on for 11 hours, 11 hours of churning sea and waves. Many of the crew members are washed overboard as they try to keep this British naval vessel afloat. And he prays this prayer, Lord, have mercy. 11 hours later, the storm calms down, he makes it back to England, his life is spared, and he converts. Oh, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? He saved me from drowning. But over the next six years, a new identity and a new way of seeing happens. And six years later, he leaves the slave trade entirely. And in 1779, he pens a hymn that we still, still sing today. You've heard of this hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Just five years after he penned that hymn, he wrote a pamphlet to, and he distributed it to every member of parliament where he came clean about his slave trading past. And he talked about how he was used in human trafficking and all of these other things, pleading for them to abolish slavery in the British Empire. But if ever there was a man who should have labored under a curse, if ever there was a man whose life should have never amounted to much of anything because his parents didn't want him, he had one knock after another, it was John Newton. And yet, when God got a hold of him, that blessing turned out to bless how many? Are, do, you, do we still sing Amazing Grace today? Yeah, we do, 200 years later. Take that, Chris Tomlin. <laughs> right? God can do that kind of stuff where he can turn a curse into a blessing. I'm going to ask our musicians to make their way up, uh, and we're going to close out with a song we've been singing a lot, but I want, to read, I want to read Ephesians chapter 1 to you. So we just did this big teaching series out of the book of Ephesians, and the Apostle Paul in this letter, it's okay, it's Dan. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in this letter, the first three chapters are really kind of like, hey, this is who you are in Christ Jesus. Like, this is what God's done for you. This is what God's given you. This is who you are. And the last three chapters of Ephesians are, well, in light of all of that, why don't you just forgive? Why don't you just give extravagantly? Like, why don't you just, like... It makes perfect sense in Paul's line of thinking. So I want to just read this first section of Ephesians again through the lens of identity. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. He has showered us, uh, 
his kindness, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us this mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure, and this is the plan. At the right time, he'll bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything on heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan.